0: I want to talk to you about something that's close to my heart. Go ahead and put that up. There you go. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You didn't get verse 6 on there, huh? This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all these troubles. Well, that's part of it. Verse 6 and 7. That's okay, but I'll take half. That's good. That's the last half. The Lord. This poor man cried. Now, you don't get in a position where you're crying to the Lord unless God puts some pressure on you, some pressure of life, and it comes. And where does it drive us? For a Christian pressure, we call it trials, we call it troubles, uh, pushes us, by the grace of God, pushes us towards God, pushes us towards good, pushes us to be a better, better for God and more committed to Him. And so this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all these troubles. The angel of the Lord cameth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. I have quoted that hundreds and hundreds of times in hospitals uh, by the bedside of people who were in affliction. Some of them were dying. Some of them were just sick, going to be sick for a while, having surgeries and various things. And I've done so many hospital calls where I go into the hospital, and this, these are some of the, these are two of the verses I use to encourage the saints of God. My goal today is, if you're a born-again Christian, is to encourage you. Because it encourages me that the angel of the Lord camp round about me. You say, I haven't seen them. They're there. And if you've lived very long in Christ, many of you have stories of what we call near-death experiences, where God supernaturally somehow delivered you from a typically, would have been at least, had it played out, a death experience. I've had like six of those where God just delivered me. That's just straight out. It's the only way you could explain it. There was no other way. God came and delivered me. And I give him the glory and the praise for that. I rode motorcycle for 10 years. You think he delivered me? I even put my wife on the back full of luggage, drive all over this country. God delivered us over and over and over again. Riding motorcycle. I, do- I dove for 35 years. God delivered us from the predators and from the trouble that could come by doing that. God delivers you day by day or you wouldn't be here. This auditorium probably has many angels in it at this I'm not talking about you people, but I'm talking about <laughs> this auditorium probably has many angels in it, even at this very moment. And then there's angels everywhere we go. It's their job, according to Hebrews chapter one, verse fourteen, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? Then there shall be heirs of salvation. That's you and me, the born-again believer. Man, when you get saved, you get a big package. You get all your sins forgiven. You get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus begins to prepare a place for you up there, and if he prepares a place for you from looking around at what he's done here in this fallen world, it's going to knock your socks off. He, he commissions angels to look over you and to take care of you and to be around you and to help you in your troubles. He gives you the Holy Spirit of God when you get born from above, and he puts the Holy Spirit in you, which according to John chapter 14, will never leave you. I'm talking here or yon. It's just good to be saved this morning. Amen. What a privilege it is to know Christ. But I want to talk to you what we know or some of what we know about angels. First thing I want to mention, I think I want to mention about six things, but the first thing I want to mention is their power. The power of angels. It says in Psalm 103.20, Blessed Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength. If you take your Bibles, and you may or may not want to do that, and turn to Second uh, Kings chapter nineteen. Well, I'm going to go to chapter eighteen a little bit, chapter eighteen and nineteen in Kings, and talk to you about the setting a little bit. It has to do with the King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was. Um, one of the greatest kings that ever came out of Judah, the tribes of uh, southern, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. In fact, the Bible says in this in the 18th chapter here that he was, there is was no king greater than Hezekiah before him and none after him. That's pretty amazing. He loved God. He was in total dedication to God. You can read it later. He removed it says in verse four of chapter 18, "Remove the high places, break the images, cut down the groves, break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made because they began to worship it. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. He clave to the Lord, departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord was with him and prospered, whithersoever he went forth and rebelled again. And and guy rebelled against a king that had had come in and conquered them. Really, it came as his king, of Sennacherib, a big name of, for the country of Assyria, had come in. Now, the country, the Assyria, was massive. It was a it was a power of the of the day. They came in and they took the ten northern tribes. There were twelve tribes of Israel. There were two southern tribes, ten northern tribes. Uh, In 721 uh, B.C., the ten northern tribes separated away from the two southern tribes. Many of you remember that after Solomon and uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam took the ten northern tribes with him, and Rehoboam took the two tribes uh, with him in Jerusalem area there. And so for about 210 years, those ten tribes existed separate from the two tribes below. But they were wicked, and the sin of Jeroboam was idolatry, and didn't follow God. And so God judged them over and over and over again. Eventually, brought this country of Assyria in to conquer them. Took them not just did it conquer them; they took all the people of the land out of the land and took them to Assyria. It was it was horrific. It was a horrific judgment. Now this this country after this Assyria came with this commander Sennacherib came down after he had taken these ten tribes and, and conquered all their cities and devastated them. He came down to attack Jerusalem. Hezekiah was in Jerusalem. Well, Hezekiah tried to get him to leave by taking, by taking some gold out of the city and some silver out of the city and paying him. Try to say, if I pay you this, this reward, I think it was uh, 300 pounds of gold and 1,000 pounds or so of silver, and if, you, if I give you this money, would you leave? Well, he gave him the money, but he didn't leave. And it came down with 185,000 soldiers, 185,000 soldiers surrounded this city of Jerusalem. I don't give you some background here. And so it was a big deal. It was uh, really not possible for Jerusalem to win. It was a lose-lose situation. Uh, They had a man called Rabshaki, which was a spokesman for Sennacherib, and he got in there and knew their language, and he started talking to them and telling them... uh, uh, you know, don't expect your God to deliver you, Hezekiah. I don't know what he's thinking because no other, no other God of. And he started naming city after city. Their God didn't deliver them. Their God didn't deliver them. This city over here, this country, they, their God didn't deliver them. And he went through this big long list of people who, who uh, their God didn't deliver them, and he says, "Why would you think your God is going to deliver you? Don't you, don't you believe it? uh Hezekiah?" Now, amazingly. Guess who was in the city of Jerusalem during Hezekiah's reign? A man named Isaiah. You know, he wrote a book of 66 books, 66 chapter book. Isaiah is a phenomenal book, phenomenal book. And we learn so much out of Isaiah. But Isaiah was really a prophet of God. So you have Hezekiah, the greatest king that ever was before him or after him. You got Isaiah in the city, which was a, one of the greatest prophets either before or after him. And this uh, Shaki with 185,000 soldiers never have lost, always have won, mocking God and mocking the people of Israel, of Jerusalem there and said, we'll give you 2,000 horses if you got people to sit on them. And one of our captains will destroy those 2,000 men. Won't be able to stand before him. And so he spoke that. And of course, you know, that would be disturbing if you were in Jerusalem and they rent their clothes and, uh, Let's pick up with chapter 19, verse 1. It came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household of Shebna, the scribe and the elders and the priests, covered with sackcloth, and Isaiah the prophet, son of Amoz. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, The day is a day of trouble and the rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come to birth, and there is not strength to bring forth it may be that the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Syria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words of the Lord, uh, which the Lord, hath, Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. I like what Isaiah says there in verse 6. Isaiah said to them, Thus she say to your master, thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of all the words which thou hast heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. But while I will send a blast upon him, will hear a rumor. And he'll hear a rumor and return to his own land. I'll cause him to fall by the sword of his own land. By the way, his two children murdered him. Sennacherib when he went back home. His two children killed him. His own, out of his own seed. So Hezekiah was in the straits, was distraught, went to, went to God and asked ask him to help them to deliver them. There was no hope otherwise if God didn't, didn't do it. Isaiah, of course, gave an answer back. And got through, God, through Isaiah, said, who, who are you mocking? You know," And he basically rebuked Reb Shaki for those words that he said and how his, he had rage against him. Then we go to verse 35. Verse 35. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out. Now, I want you to underline angel, singular, just one angel. Of oh, The Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians, and a hundred, basically, that's a, a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand, which is 185,000. When they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead to corpses. Now, that kind of sounds funny. Like how can dead corpses arise and tell you they're dead corpses? But what it was, the leadership didn't die. Sennacherib didn't die. Reb Shaki didn't die. They got up in the morning and all their soldiers were dead. That's, That's the power of one of God's angels, just one. And those are the angels or angel that are assigned to protect us. And that gives me some peace. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there any army too fierce that he cannot conquer? Just one angel. 185,000 died in one night. Wow. Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It just was two angels. Two They say the city of Sodom and Gomorrah could have been 50,000 people, may have been 100,000 people. That would have been a really large city for the time. But it was a beautiful plain. Uh, the, The Dead Sea didn't used to be dead. The Jordan River flowed down to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea had an outlet. And that was probably the most gorgeous place on earth, like the Garden of Eden. And then God rained on these two angels. As you know the story, he rained fire and brimstone down upon those two cities. But he did more than just those cities. He did that area with sulfur as it is now. And it stopped the flow of the Jordan out the other end. And when you bring water into an area and don't let water go out of an area, it becomes dead. And if you notice, it's called the Salt Sea now. All that salt for all those years that came down into the Dead Sea and evaporated and evaporated. Now you just have like the great salt dunes that we have out west. That's the Dead Sea. In fact, some of you people just got back from there. You can literally go out in the water in the Dead Sea, and you float vertically. If I remember right, I floated vertically right up to here. And I was in the water. I floated vertically up to this place where the water was right here. It's amazing. You can lay down. And they're just buoyant because there's so much uh, dissolved solids in the water compared to normal water. It was interesting. By the way, if you got a cut, it burns. I don't know if you had any in there. Boy, you've got some cuts on it. You, you'll find that that's salt water. But that's what God did with just two angels. So, what's the conclusion is what we know about angels is we know that angels are powerful. We know they're powerful from the Bible. Second thing we know is how people respond to angels. When they get around them, now personally, I married an angel. No, no, but uh, I have never that I know met an angel. But I'm almost positive I have. I've had strange things come in my life and people that I've talked to and picked up and talked. You know that. Later on, I was like, who, who was that? Where'd he come from? People in accidents will sometimes say and testify of this person that came and rescued him and then never disappeared. It, you know, it could be a real person. It could have been an angel. You never know. The Bible talks about entertaining angels unaware. I believe we have. By the grace of God, if you entertain folks, try to do the will of God. But we see, what is a reaction? I, I've done a little study Bible-wide on a reaction of people when they get around angels. So angels are powerful. And then secondly, what we know about angels is how people respond to them. I think of the Roman soldiers at the tomb of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 through 4, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended, and again, just one, from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. This is Jesus Jesus' grave. His countenance was like lightning, and his remnant white as snow. And for fear of the keepers, did he shake, and the keepers did shake and became as dead men. <laughs> now these weren't just any old keepers; these were Roman soldiers, and the Romans had real strict policies. That when you were given a guard duty, if you let somebody escape while you were under the guard duty, they would take your life in exchange for the people who got loose or got free under your care so these soldiers knew that if they didn't do what they were supposed to do that their life was on the line these are hardened Roman soldiers trained to kill trained not to have sympathy uh, and had been doing it who knows how long they had been doing it these were the ones assigned to guard the grave of Jesus so somebody wouldn't come and take him by night and claim he got resurrected that was the high priest asked Pilate to do that so he did he gave him a guard there was either four or six of these men there. The angel shows up. These, these hardened men had seen stuff that would you and I wouldn't even believe what they had seen, and yet look at their reaction. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. So we know in the presence of angels, typically in the Bible, people become weak, full of fear, and oftentimes fall down on the ground and, interestingly, face first. Joshua, when he was getting ready to take Jericho in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and he, an angel came to him, and an angel said, Nay, he said, Who are you? And an angel said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord I am now come. And Joshua, which was a soldier, he had seen the ten plagues. He would seen great things God had done. Wouldn't be easily disturbed. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What says my Lord unto his servant the captain of the Lord of hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe off thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. But he fell on his face for his reaction. was So the reaction of the soldiers, which were a bunch of heathens, didn't have any concern about God. They fell on their face and became his dead man. The reaction of a saint, a child of God, Joshua, which was a leader appointed by God himself. He fell on his face. Balaam which is in between the two. I'm not sure quite where Balaam falls on, in between those two, but Balaam wasn't a good guy. He fell upon his face in Numbers chapter 22, verse 31. He bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. I think of Daniel. He was a man of God, loved God. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I, I was in a deep sleep on my face and uh, face toward the ground when, when he was t- talked to by an angel. Daniel chapter 10, verse 15, when he has spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and became dumb. That was his reaction when he got around a supernatural being called an angel. The apostle John uh, had the same reaction. He said in Revelation 22, 8, and and I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. In chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I fell at his feet as dead. So we, what we do know about uh, people in the presence of angels is that you're not going to be big, tough, and brave if an angel shows up at your house. People say to me, well, if an angel show up, I'd believe. You wouldn't. If you won't believe without the angel, you won't believe with the angel. You got Moses and the prophets. If you, won't believe with, 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 if you don't believe with Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe though one were raised from the dead. That's what he said in Luke chapter 16 to the rich man in hell. So today in the preaching of the Bible, if you won't believe in Christ with this kind of environment, you're not going to believe if some other supernatural event happened to you. Don't don't kid yourself on that. But when you come into the presence of an angel or the presence of some supernatural being, the first thing that will happen to you is have a massive amount of fear come over you. And then weakness and reverence and humility... That's what happens to people in the presence of angels, the presence of supernatural being. Most appearances of angels, the first thing the angels say is fear not. Why? Because you're in fear. You're shaken by it. And he, he says that to help those that he's talking to. The third thing, I, what we know about angels, the third thing is how many there are. In some degree, God has told us how many angels there are. In Psalm 66, sixty-eight, excuse me, seventeen, it says the chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of angels, and the Lord among them. The Lord is among them, and in Sinai, in the holy place. In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty-two, in the New Testament, it says, "But you are coming to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now, I looked the Greek up. What the Greek word is is myriad." Myriad of myriads is what the Greek says. Myriads of myriads of angels. And it's translated correctly in English, innumerable. How would you translate myriad? Myriads upon myriads of angels. And the King James translator said the best way to translate it would be, just make, they're just innumerable. Some people have tried to define that that's at least 100 million angels, but I think there are way more than that. It wouldn't surprise me if there's an angel per person or more. God has made. I'll tell you why in a minute. So the fourth thing we learn about angels, uh, that we know about angels, is uh, is what they do. What do angels do? Well, in Matthew thirteen, the parable of the tares and wheat. Many of you know that a guy had a wheat field. That the parable goes: the guy had a wheat field, and and he was growing wheat, and an enemy came by and sowed tares among the wheat. Now. The way I understand farming and the way I've read about this is the tares and the wheat look exactly the same as they grow up. The only difference is once the wheat, the, the tares never produce fruit, whereas the wheat produces fruit, and when it produces fruit, it bends over, and you can tell the difference between the tares and the wheat. But you can't. When they're growing up together, you can't get in there and get, get them. you got to leave them alone. And, and Jesus interprets this in Matthew chapter 13 clearly um, to us. That that that's a uh, parable of the way the kingdom of God is. That in any group of where where God's people meet, there are some tares and wheat together. We grow up together. And the only time they're going to be separated is when God separates them. You say, are there evil people in church? In every church there is, there's an evil person or two or three or four or five in the midst. I've passed it for a while now. And I can tell you, we have discovered a few of them in my history. They're not from God. They're, they're, not, they're from the evil one sent among us, but they talk Christian, walk Christian, act Christian, smell Christian, but they're not. Their works their works betray them for being a tear, not a wheat. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, he says in Jesus' interpretation of the parable, which we know is solid, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. So people say to me, brother Bill, when you die, who comes and gets you? Angel. Angel's going to come in. So I've been to the hospital a few times. I've had a little physical infirmities most of my life, and come and go. And sometimes I've gone in there. I, the first time I ever had AFib, I thought I was dying. You know, myocardial infarction is that, is that the right word, doc? Myocardial infarction. Yeah, I learned that from you. Myocardial infarction, I think, is fatal. But uh, I felt like I was dying, you know. I mean, I know my heart was going crazy, beating all over the place, you know. The, the, the monitor was all over, and I thought, well, this is it. This is it. I get to go to heaven. Hey, Kathy, I'm sorry I didn't do more for you, but I hope you have a good life. And I was looking the whole time I was in there. I was looking for this young guy in white to come in the room. I'm saying, oh, I know an angel's going to reap me. An angel's going to come get you. As a born-again believer, it's not a fearful thing, though it may be fearful when it happens, because just like Joshua fell down in the presence of the captain and the host of the Lord, I mean, and and Daniel fell down in the presence of the host of the Lord, and and so did John fall down in the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying I'm so big, tough, and brave that if an angel appears, I'm not going to do the same thing they did. I probably will. But it won't be the same kind of fear that the unsaved have when they sing. But I know this, the Bible teaches what we know about angels is they seem to be the ones who come and gather the dead. They also do other things. And from this, really from this same interpretation of parable, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew chapter 13, verse verse 41. They separate the wicked from the righteous. And the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity. So it's going to be the angels' job evidently they know the difference between the saved and the unsaved. We can't tell by looking right because we can't see on the heart but God is able to do that God's going to come in and separate yes he's saved no he's not saved yes she's saved no he's not saved that's going to be that's going to be one of the duties of the angels they're going to come by and separate uh the the, the those that offend if as it were or do iniquity and are not born from above away from those that are saved. the third thing we find out about these angels, and this isn't part of the other outline, so if you're following this, this is under the, uh, well, how about just forget all that? I I love it when I put something together and I got, this is the third point or the second point or the sub-point. No. Okay, so so fourthly, what do angels do? That's the major line, fourthly, what do the angels do? Under those four things, we we got five things. So I'm on the third thing under the fourth thing. So if you're taking notes, you can try to figure that one out. The angels have the duty, the gruesome duty, of casting the lost in the lake of fire. Look in verse 42 of chapter 13, and these angels shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus' interpretation. So you can argue with this if you want to, but I wouldn't. Oh, the fourth thing we know about angels under the... This is the fourth point under the fourth point. <laughs> in, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, let me read it to you. They, they watch over children. I think this is so... Of all that we don't know about angels and the few things we do know about angels, it's interesting to me that God has revealed to us that these angels... Every child has an angel that watches over them. That's interesting to me. Why would he do that? What do he have? Matthew chapter eighteen verse ten says, "Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones." How did that all start? The disciples got together and were discussing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That'd be something we'd do. Well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? It's going to be brother, brother Jimmy. going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's going to be brother Tom. going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to be the greatest of kingdom? That That is just not Holy Spirit. That's not God's way. And Jesus said, give me a small child. So they set a small child in their midst. Now we're talking, I looked it up in the, in the language, and it's a two to three-year-old child. I think Owen may be in that age group. I don't remember how old Owen is, but he's close to that age group. You take a little child like Owen, and you bring him up here, I would do that, but I just don't want him to scream and kick and have a fuss. But you bring that two to three in the midst of Jesus, maybe Jesus was sitting down and putting him on his knee, and he said, if you don't become like this little child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones as a two- to three-year-old child. For I say unto you that in heaven their are angels, do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. That's where we get the idea of guardian angels. You've heard the term guardian angels? Well, we get the term guardian angels from this passage here because this is the clearest of all the Bible. that The angels of God have assignments to individuals. Their angels are before the throne of God watching out for them. So you people like doing the bus ministry, you got angels watching those kids as you pick them up and drop them off. How important is it for children's ministry? Real important. How important is it to to go after the young people to give them them the gospel? Real important. I know that uh, God saved me a lot of times as a young child uh, through various things that we did. The fifth thing under the fourth thing Is this, these angels are to be a witness for the whole process of the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? Luke chapter 12, verse 8 and 9 says, I say unto you that whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess. And get this before the angels of God. What are they used for? One of the things angels are used for is they're used to be a witness of the whole process. It said in verse 9, but he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. It's going to be pretty traumatic for you to die. An angel's going to come gather you. Eventually, going to take you to the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved, you're going to go to what we call the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, and you'll be judged for your works that you did. With the light that you had, what would you do? How much did you obey God with the opportunity you had? Now, you're born again. You're washed in the blood. You're saved. But you're still going to be judged for your works. Corinthians says, Every man's work should be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, for it shall reveal by fire, and a fire shall try every man's work of what kind or quality or sort it is. All of us born-again Christians are going to be judged for the things done in our bodies with the opportunity we've had. What did you, you could sing. Did you ever sing? You could play an instrument. Did you ever play it? Well, you had the opportunity to use it for the kingdom of God. Did you or did you not? You'll be judged basically on how that is. That's big. Imagine standing before God Almighty with a myriad of angels, myriads of myriads as witnesses to our life. You'll see, you'll see a concern in the Bible on the old saints of God They don't want to be ashamed before God's presence. You'll see it. David says, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. There's a continual theme in the Bible about people saying, please, Lord, help me not to be ashamed. Because in the witness of all those angels, your life's going to be judged. As far as the works you did as a Christian. Now, now what about the unsaved? Well, they stand before another, another judgment seat. They don't get to stand before the one we stand before because we've asked Jesus to save us and become our Savior and been washed in his blood and covered by grace. They stand before the Lord Jesus as judge of all the world, having rejected him, having been in unbelief, and having basically called the witness of the Bible a lie. They stand before Jesus, condemned. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Who does that? Angels. They're not only going to be witness to that judgment, but they're going to be the ones who eventually cast people out of God's presence. A good definition of hell is out of the presence of God. People want to emphasize the fire, and I get it. The Bible talks a lot about fire. It talks about the lake of fire. But the real agony of being in the place called the Bible calls hell or the lake of fire is going to be our separation from God. You say, well, I don't really care much about God now, and I don't miss him now. That's here. Really, God's everywhere. He, The Bible says the firmer declareth the glory of God, right? The, the glory of God's everywhere we look. God is present with us, saved or unsaved. God is present with us. That's that's nothing even close to what hell's going to be, where it'll be the absolute vacuum of the goodness and glory of God. And you don't know what that's like. And I don't know what that's like. But I know it's spoken of by Jesus more than he spoke about heaven. And as and he gave his life so that you wouldn't go there, don't go there. Don't listen to a sermon like this or don't listen to other sermons or, and, and miss Jesus. Don't do it. The sixth thing that we know about angels is they want to do God's will. They're basically God's workers. 53 times angel, the word angels mentioned in the book of Revelation. Do you think the book of Revelation has a little bit to do with angels? No book in the whole Bible comes close to the number of mentions of angels in the book of Revelation. Man, angels are a big part of the tribulation period, seven years. Because angels in the whole Old Testament are mentioned 99 times. In the whole New Testament, excuse me, in the whole New Testament they're mentioned 99 times, in the whole Old Testament mentioned 95 times. 53 of those times in the New Testament It's in one book, the book of Revelation. It's a book of God's taking over. What's going to happen in the tribulation period, God's going to bury his arm a little bit and show himself more manifestly in the the tribulation period than he has throughout history. I believe this morning we can have great confidence as born-again believers in God's watch care over us in our lives. I hope this helps you some. I hope this encourages you some. I hope when you say this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. How many? All of them, man. Why? Because the angel of the Lord camped round about them that fear him. To do what? Deliver them. To deliver them. If God be for you, who can be against you? Oh, sometimes you smell the devil's breath or the demonic forces of this world. You smell their breath as it were and they seem to have the upper hand and they seem to be in control. But I can guarantee you biblically that is a temporary thing. And there's someday going to be relegated to a place called hell. The Bible said hell was made for the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25. Made for the devil and his angels. And they're going there. Now, I don't know know everybody's heart here this morning, but I can tell you this. You don't want to go where the devil's going to go. Because I preached on Wednesday night, the devil is cruel. The devil is cruel. The things that job got happened to him was not God's idea. that was the devil's idea. You see where he goes. He kills all your kids, takes all your wealth, takes all your health, gives he doesn't, doesn't let you die, but he gives you boils from head to toe. That's the devil. he's cruel, and you don't want to go where he's going to go. you don't want to you don't want to participate in the things that he's participating in and encouraging. you want to you want to be close to God hanging on to the old Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him and have him wash you. Angels are, man, what we know about angels is they have a big part in our lives. They have a big part in our children's life. They have a big part in our spiritual life. And I know I've been been in a place where I go beside, maybe some of you are going to go to the hospital this week. I'll come come visit you by the grace of God. Maybe Chris will come visit you. And we'll come by your bedside and we'll say, the angels of the Lord camp round about. I've been to the deathbed of many people. and I can tell you, I love to get in there when somebody's getting ready to go to heaven. I say, you know what? The angels of God are here. The angels of God are camping round about. The last one was Gwen, uh, the FBI guy, Glenn, uh, Glenn, Glenn Young. I may, I may go visit you. I may not know your name, but i at least I'll know your face. I'm glad God knows your name. I went into Glenn. He was getting ready to go to heaven. I said, Glenn, I said, God's here. He's camping around about this place. He's going to deliver you and take you home by the grace of God. And he will you. Father in heaven, thank you today for the spirit of God. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for letting us know something about angels and their duty. We're not to worship them. No, no. We're not to pray to them. No, 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 no. We're not to try to learn their name or all that other stuff that's wickedly done the book of Colossians deals with. But Father, we, we do know that they're there and we know that they look out for us and we know that they've saved us a hundred, probably different times and we live very long. And we just pray, Father, we live for Christ in such a way that, you'd, uh, that it would honor your name. If there's somebody here without Jesus, my, oh, my. May they be at least interested to know more about what it means to be saved in the gospel. We're here to help you know what Jesus did for you. We'd love to lead you to Christ. We'd love to show you the gospel like we were showing it. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. The Bible says thou shalt be saved. I didn't write it. You come. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. See a couple verses, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. You come make new business with God. You know, sometimes fear wants to come by like a like a like a, a fog. Fear will come by your house. I've had fear when it's not explainable. I've had fear come by when it's not there's no reason for it. It's a spirit of fear. Comes to come by and wants to grab me and wants me to be afraid. You know what I do? This poor man cried. The Lord heard him. And he delivered him out of all his fear, troubles, fear. Amen. Cry out to God and he'll come and help you through those times. Hunker down, just trust him all the way home. You come to business with God. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947 One two eight five. Thank you and God bless.